This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet. It is Women in Tabletop Gaming Month, and we ladies have hijacked the network. It is June 2018, and this is episode 20 of the CypherCast. Dears, I am so happy that you landed on the CypherCast tonight. We have a pretty special episode. I'm Danny Neri, and I'm your host. That's right, just me. Tonight, I've just hijacked the network, and I'm kicking the boys off. All right, that's not really how it went. Our producer, Jim Ryan, had a great idea. June is Women in Tabletop Gaming Month, and he said, Danny, why don't you host the show and have some of your favorite women that are into Cypher? And Andrew was all about it, wicked supportive, and so here we are. I have some very special guests on tonight. We have Marcy Vellen and Megan Tolentino. Hey, ladies. Hello. Hi. So please tell me about yourselves and how you got into MCG and what you know about it before we move on to our topic. Marcy, tell me about you. Hi. So I'm Marcy Vellen, and I run the Owl of Lycia on Monty Cook Games' Twitch channel. That's been going on on Sunday nights. We had a four-week run, and we're coming back soon, and I'm very excited about that. Woohoo! I first got into MCG through Numenera. I'm actually fairly new to the system, I would say. My partner ended up buying Numenera. He was trying to get me to play it for months, and then I finally picked it up, and I read it cover to cover, and I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the player agency. I loved the transparency. It was my system through and through. And I was running it and then I was running it at conventions. We were at the same convention for PAX Unplugged. Yeah, we were. Then I was on the Twitch channel and my partner still hasn't run it. <laughs> we got to get him on that. Right? If you're listening, run a game. Right? For our dear mercy, please. <laughs> and Megan, how about you? I don't remember where I first heard about Numenera, but when I heard about it, it was definitely a system I knew that I would love and want to play. And I finally got a chance to start running it on our podcast, The Redacted Files. It's sort of the reason we decided to make a podcast with all kinds of different shows because I really wanted to run it. And more recently, we branched off a whole new podcast called The Amber Clave, where we just play Numenera. And as we spent more and more time playing in there, I started writing a bit. I wrote two things now for Cypher cast magazine and i've written a supplement for the cypher system creator on drive through rpg called fantasy ancestries which is a racial descriptor supplement for numenera for fantasy settings in particular awesome i'm gonna have to check those out and we are gonna put links to both your guys projects and the webpage with our episode So I'm supposed to be skipping the roundup, and the roundup is when we tell all the new MCG news. But I have to break the rules because something landed on my doorstep this week. I have the Black Cube. Invisible Sun has been delivered. It's gorgeous. It's spectacular. And I believe there's a limited amount still available. So I'm just saying it's gorgeous, and I'm beyond happy. It's really incredible. I had an opportunity to look at the playtest material so far, and I loved it. 
Yes. I'm too scared to open mine up because I'm afraid I'm going to break something. Oh, no. You're just going to break the characters. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and then we usually have Cyphercast announcements, but I was going to skip that, but I had to break that rule too because I know there are a lot of awesome members of the Cyphercast that are going to be at Gen Con this year. And one of the things we love to do is run games for MCG. So if you're going to Gen Con, please think about running games with us. We have so much fun. We do after-hour things. It is like a family. And I say the more the merrier. So Gen Con, baby. And now for something I'm supposed to do, the discussion. Tonight, we're going to be talking about creating material to use with the Cypher system. And both you ladies are absolutely positively experienced with this. So this will be perfect. So adaptation, adapting your world concept to the Cypher system and adapting the Cypher system to your world concept. What do you think? How do you do it? How do you start? Where do you start? Well, most of the Cypher stuff that I run is in Numenera. So usually I find something really cool and weird like carnivorous plants. And then I build out an idea around that for like a community or a monster. And that's where I start with one small idea that I can expand on. And Numenera is great for that because anything a little weird or unusual is a really great seed for that. Just taking one thing and going. Nice. And then Marcy, you created your own world. Did you create the world first and then adapted to Cypress system? Yes. So I've actually been running the same system for a while. I started out playing RPGs on fourth edition for Dungeons and Dragons. And since then, it's kind of adapted and changed. And I've been trying in different systems. I did Pathfinder for a little bit. I did 5th edition. And eventually I came upon Cypher System after running Numenera so often. And I would say that, yes, I did adapt it to the system. But the way that I adapted it was the same way I world build in general, which is a mix of micro and macro. I sort of start at both ends with little things and then big concepts and meet somewhere in the middle with compromises between the two. So I haven't done too many world creations, but I've like done the Powerpuff Girls in the Cypher system. So there mm-hmm. I had a pre-made world and idea, and then I was so excited to put it in the Cypher system. Now, what about when you make your characters for your own world? Do you make your own concepts, uh, focus in, in the such or special features? I steal really heavily from books and movies. I'm going to admit that here that I love to read a lot of fantasy and weird sci-fi. And so that's where I pull from when I'm trying to come up with a character idea, like maybe take someone and twist it a little bit. And that's sort of what I did with fantasy ancestries that I wrote. So I really love reading a lot of like classic fantasy, like Tolkien and all that stuff. So I took all those tropes and built that out into a way to build those sort of characters into a cipher game. Fantasy ancestries is flavors and not descriptors because I didn't like how descriptors only let you have a very static idea of what a dwarf was. I really like the way that flavors in the cipher system rules let you take any sort of character build like your warrior, but you can still have a magical warrior and still pull in all those things that you love with magic into your warrior character. And so I thought that'd be a really great way to build out having a dwarf where like, even if you're looking at D&D, you have options for a mountain dwarf or a hill dwarf. There's different types of dwarves and flavors let you pull in 
the bits that you want without having to take everything as a whole. I like how that lets you customize your characters a lot. And I wish flavors were in all of the Cypher books. I don't think they're going to come up in Numenera from talking to Monty at Gen Con last year, but maybe things changed since then. But flavors, I think, are one of the best things about the Cypher core rulebook. I have two follow-up questions for that. The first one is I'm going to pick your brain. So I and Marcy, please feel free to chime in. I'm going to be running a Greyhawk game for the Greyhawk channel at Gen Con. But I want to run it using Cypher system because it's, you know, my favorite. Would the fantasy ancestries, would that work for something like that? Like I can include this in my game that I'm just pulling out. All it has in it is flavor. So it doesn't have any like magical artifacts or special fantasy based ciphers. But if you wanted to create a dwarf or an elf. Um, let's see, I did nine different flavors for like the most common fantasy races and then included some rules for doing like a half elf or half dwarf. So let's see if I can remember everything included. <laughs> dwarf, elf, hobbit, or halfling, gnome, tiefling, SMR, elemental sort of thing, then humans and orcs. So you can build any of those sort of race-based characters, except then you're just using it as a flavor. So maybe your dwarf gets the ability to see in the dark really well, or is really good with stonework or something like that, but not necessarily the two-axe wielder type of dwarf. Very cool. Sorry, I keep going to dwarf. Stores are my favorite. No, that, that's totally cool. And then the second question I have is you mentioned weird sci-fi. Can you just give me a few titles and give all of us a few titles for crazy weird sci-fi <laughs> that'll inspire us? Well, definitely the most recent thing I read was Annihilation. I didn't finish the whole trilogy yet, but it's a really short book. And they just came out with a movie with it that has Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson and some other great actresses in it, which is great for women in tabletop gaming month. All the main characters in that movie are women, and they're all scientists who are exploring this weird phenomenon that's come to earth and I have so many ideas from just watching that movie that I want to pull into my campaign but the book is just as good and just the like weird science ideas that it's putting out there I don't want to spoil anything in the movie but you should definitely watch it because it's really good it's a bit of a horror movie though so if you don't like horror maybe just look up pictures from it (laughs) I will be checking that out and now Marcy you created your own world and right before this you sent me I'd say a primer, but this beautiful document that you gave your players before they played. I didn't get the chance to look over the whole thing yet because the time was shortage, but how about character creation? Did you give them certain guidelines in your world? Yeah, actually, let me just open that up real quick. So there were a few things that I gave them to work with. One of the things that you might immediately notice about the world that I would say I created, but we've all been creating it together. I just gave them the skeleton primer to work from. One of the things that I gave them was this really big anchor point. I didn't want this to feel like D&D. So I gave them four different types of races. And I actually can go into why I named them the way I did with you. Yeah. The four races that we created together were Theron, Gantz, Tannen, and Anima. Two of the characters are Tannen, Trin, who is played by Skyrim Moss, and Grandma, who is played by Sharon. They are half-demons, essentially. Tannen are the demon people. Theron, which are the closest approximation to humans in the setting. And we have one Theron, Kalia Red Sky, who is played by Leora Holmes. And then we have an anima in the party as well. These animal people, these creatures of folklore. I really love Aesop's fables and I love Redwall and I love... Like I I love uh, Narnia and all these books with animals. And I know my world is going to be referred to as the one with furries in it. (laughs) I'm like, guys, it's so much more than furries. (laughs) Yeah, we've got animal people. And then we've got the Gants who no one ever chose to play, but they're my favorite. And I named them 
the way I did. Uh, Tannin is actually a Hebrew word meaning monster. Gans means whole. And I wanted to put in like this sort of earth bound feeling to it. Anima is self-explanatory. And Theron is actually a word that is derived from this root meaning has come from an animal into a human rather than the other way around. So I gave them those four to work with and they're able to, in the setting at any time in the game, say, I'm a tannin. Maybe I'm going through a metamorphosis right now. Can I spend my XP to gain more abilities from my metamorphosis? Or they're able to say, well, we're in a city with a lot of Theron. I should be able to get along better here. And that's the sort of freedom that this entails. And it also separates it so far from your standard role-playing games, including fantasy. So it it feels monumentally different and it feels alive. And I'm so happy with it. Awesome. Those were the big creation things that I gave them to work with. You're making me want to write my own campaign because all I've done is pre-gens for one-shots and stuff I've run. But this just all sounds amazing. I make my own world there. And you spoke of furries. I just have to mention um, an incredible game that MCG Cyphercast crew ran last Gen Con that included furries and lots of bacon. <laughs> That's a nod to our friends there because they will definitely remember that. And I guess you have to come to Gen Con to hear the whole story or, you know, hit us up on Twitter. I actually will be coming to Gen Con yes! this year. So I will be there. Awesome. We will all have to get together. Yeah. I'll find you so I can hear the story. Yes, please. Yes, absolutely. Not something we can say here, I think. (laughs) In in a very funny way. So I keep on going back to the Powerpuff Girls game because it's just the most recent one that's been on my mind. And I know for that one, I made like silly ciphers, like double punch bubble gum and, you know, Gatorade or like a sports drink to heal and the such. So when you're creating your own world, as you both have done, are you making your own ciphers or customizing ones from the books? I have come up with my own ciphers every once in a while. Usually if I'm just handing out ciphers, I just roll from the tech compendium because it's so amazing. But I have written a bunch of ciphers for a supplement that Dread Unicorn Games is going to be releasing in a while. I'm not sure when it's coming out, so I don't know how much I can say about it. But when I'm coming up with ciphers, it's hard to come up with some that are really distinct from what the tech companion does because it covers so many things. But mostly, once again, like looking at magical items from existing books and pulling inspiration from there or looking at magical spells and saying, how would this act weirdly in Numenera or your cipher game or the strange? And how does the sort of like feel and energy of that game affect the sort of feel that I want this to have? That is very cool. And Marcy, what about for your game that you're running on Twitch there? So for the pilot, uh, it was pretty low key. We were only using stuff out of the books be it the strange or cipher system a couple of things from numenera found their way in there but we didn't actually use ciphers all that much in the future i'm actually working on creating a whole table of new ciphers that will be incorporated into the ones that already exist it's not that it needs anymore i just want to include more flavor into the world one of the things that i'm working on right now is a modular spell scroll system where they have these words of power that can be transferred onto sheets. And I really like the idea of creating spells as sentences. Hmm. Just like the characters have sentences that describe them, you can create magic with a sentence as well by transcribing them and you can stack multiple things. So maybe you have a spell for fire. 
And you can combine that with a spell for movement to throw it, for example. I like that. Yeah. Now, how do they use them? So actually, I have the rules written up elsewhere, but they use them by expending their action. They transfer them. You have to have training in magic of some kind. That's really the only stipulation that I want to put on it because I want it to be sort of accessible because ciphers are pretty hard to come by. And if you're like, carrying around all this magic paper that's going to weigh you down. They're going to come by them by finding words of power in temples and the like, and you can scribe them down and save them for later. And maybe you don't know what that word means yet, but can, you can easily expend it and you can mix and match them with other words, verbs, adjectives, just to see what you can do with it. And I, I want them to be able to create their own spells that way. Now, Marcy, can things go wrong with the spells? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like the cipher mishap table is very much at work with these guys. <laughs> it takes time to make it. And I mixed it up with the crafting rules a little bit. And I'm so excited for Numenera 2 to come out so I can see what they have for crafting rules because I'm just going to like shuffle it right on in here. But I can't wait to see what happens with that. In the meantime, it's going to go by cipher level. I think the base task level for a word of power is three. And then as you combine them, it follows the same crafting rules. And then you can create a word of power that's four with another level of the same kind. So it's going to follow the crafting rules. It's going to get like a little bit gritty, but I love being a little bit esoteric with it. I love the idea in crafting rules in Cypher System and Numenera, where you have to have like the level five item, the level four item, the level three item, two, one, zero. And they're like, well, what's zero? I'm like, it's your breath after a long run. <laughs> like it's that kind of thing. I love getting esoteric with materials, especially for magic. So they'll be able to play with that. And, you know, sometimes they might explode. I don't know. These things happen. <laughs> These things just happen, you know, it's just, it's a consequence of magic. Magic is dangerous. It is. <laughs> I love playing the horror with Cypher and I love how the horror escalates. But one of my favorite things with that is the ciphers and put my own little spin on them. But, you know, in mythos worlds like Relay, you know, with Cthulhu, that item that's going to help you is also going to do something really bad. And I take great pleasure as a GM of creating those and having things go wrong. That's not cruel, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> I love the sort of mixed bag approach. I don't know if you noticed, but in that like second to last episode, the third episode of Al, Trin got herself into like, she was there to fix ciphers. So I put her in a room of broken ciphers. And it was just this classic DM trap. And we're still, <laughs> we're still waiting to see what's wrong with that cipher because malfunctioning ciphers are the best thing. They don't always work. Mm -hmm. So I run a lot of convention games and not so many long-term games, although I have loved cipher play and the games they have put out for the different seasons. But when you're running a long-term game versus a one-shot game, what are the similarities? What are the differences in your approaches? I think I'm a lot less stingy with XP and stuff like that when I'm running a one-shot because I want them to be using it as we're going along and uh, like experiencing all the weird things that can happen within the system. Yeah, that's true. I have been starting them with like 12 XP for a one shot. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> a lot more generous than I am. I still just start them with one. <laughs> well, I, I, I like it with superheroes, especially because it allows them the chance to get to that next tier. Yeah. I do a lot of GM intrusions and one shot. So they get the XP that way. And I want them to be able to say no, yeah. although I secretly hope they don't say no to the don't refuse the intrusion. I think my scenarios also tend to be a bit more deadly, which probably happens because usually when we're writing our 
con scenarios. I'm writing a cipher one and my husband's writing a Delta Green one. And so he just gets me in that like deadly mood where survival is not necessarily the goal. (laughs) So I think my one shots tend to be a bit more deadlier because you're not really forming as much of an emotional attachment to the character. So I don't feel as bad putting it in crappy situations. I had a TPK on my hands last summer. And I, this is the GM, I was in tears. It was a D&D game and it was pretty long term there. And I love this party. They had great charisma and they made some stupid moves. It was not my fault. I could not save them on that one. <laughs> and I think it hurt me more than them. It was very sad. Oh, no. I always say, and people like, people get on me for this. This is where we start going off topic, by the way. Oh, that's People fun. get on me for saying that you should always be prepared for a TPK. But they don't actually understand, I think, what I mean when I say that. Because they're like, no, GM should never prepare a TPK. And I'm like, well, I mean, so if I'm preparing like a really difficult encounter, there might not actually be a difference between the two. But also like emotionally Ugh. handling a TPK. Like you should always just be ready because that can be the worst feeling in the world is accidentally killing somebody's character without meaning to. Yeah. And then like kind of dropping the ball on them emotionally. Yeah. That sucks. I have a bad habit of starting to laugh whenever I kill a character because it's like a guilt thing and I'm like feeling overwhelmed, like feeling bad and I can't stop laughing, which makes it worse, I feel. Also same though. (laughs) I killed somebody with unicorns like three times. ridiculous seeing as we are off topic talking about tpks and you know they happen in numenera and cypher but i did have somebody on twitter after writing about my tpk kind of yell at me and be like you power crazy gms that should never happen and i want to be like hey they stood in the way of a breath weapon for four rounds all lined up not my fault but how do you feel about that obviously you've talked about how they should be prepared for them oh i don't know last time we had a breath weapon we just like kept running (laughs) (laughs) we outran the breath weapon it was good i don't know i feel like if they're not making smart choices you can't save them from that like if they're coming up with quite clever solutions and working on solving the problem in like a creative way or at least like moving out of the way of the breath weapon then i'm a lot more willing to like give a like a little bit of wiggle room but if your characters are going to be doing something that they wouldn't live through it's not fair to be like oh and then anine steps in the way and absorbs the blow and you can run away or something like that it doesn't make sense. And it takes away like the risk of like, why even bother fighting if you just know the outcome's going to be you're going to win? It's weird because like, it seems like there's a really big discrepancy between what they were expecting to happen and what ended up happening, I guess. And that just, I don't know, it's weird. At, at some point, like, I don't know, even I just like stop things. And I, <laughs> I reiterate the consequences, like with my big old DM voice. And if they're still like gung ho about it, because for some reason they don't believe me. <laughs> like I TPK'd a party once after doing that because they were like, oh, we can't trust her. She knows what we're going to do and she's going to stack the odds against us. So you know what? We want to plan in private. And I was like, do you honestly want to do that? <laughs> and they were like, we do. <laughs> so I left the room. That's like the whole thing about it is this sort of expectation meeting with with players and GM and if I know what they're doing I can help them yeah anyway I killed them 
like so hard because I didn't know what the plan was. There wasn't any sort of like existential universal guidance and karma helping them out with that. They learned their lesson. I I wish I was a fly on the wall. (laughs) Have either of you ever killed a character with a GM intrusion? But you feel bad. I've only killed one character in Numenera actually. Usually when I'm killing characters it's in like Call of Cthulhu. Unless you're like actively trying to kill characters I find it a lot harder to do it in Cypher system. Especially because I prefer like really short combats so things move pretty quickly and there's not as much time for their pools to drain down. I might feel a little guilty with a GM intrusion but they're also like my favorite thing on the planet. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would feel guilty with a GM intrusion, but I try to make it pretty clear about the risk whenever I bring up a GM intrusion. Yeah. And I also feel pretty strongly about the idea that whenever you bring in a GM intrusion, it should threaten something about their livelihood, be it their actual life, maybe their social standing. It should actually have some weight to it to gain the XP and to see how they react to it. It doesn't even need to be an external effect. It can be something internal Mm -hmm. and that that sort of like rattles them and might change the focus of the game because that's the really important part about the intrusion is it changes their focus in that moment. They were focused on something and then it just completely whirs around. But now I haven't killed anyone yet with a GM intrusion, though I have killed plenty of players in the past. I mean, characters, not players. <laughs> characters. I've, I've killed many characters. <laughs> this is not an admission of guilt. <laughs> I want to hear more about you ladies' worlds. But before I do, do you have anything else you want to say about creating your own world? Any pointers? Anything to tell the listeners? I think this is general advice for a lot of games, like any game you're running. Cypher makes it easier because you have the character sentence, but knowing what's on your player's character sheets and what abilities they're taking and stuff like that is really important because that tells you what they want to see in the game. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And then it makes it really easy to find things to incorporate into your game because you're like, oh, this character is an ultra-terrestrial. We should pull in some ultra-terrestrial stuff into our game. And I'm not always super great at that, but I've always found that when I'm sort of following that rule, it makes everything more enjoyable for everyone. Yes, that's super true. I guess my only advice that I would have is have a session zero. Oh, yeah. The RPG Academy, if they ever taught me one thing, is a session zero in any game, and I absolutely love it. And especially, I would imagine, creating your own world, how important it would be if you're running a long-term campaign, like you said, what everybody expects or the the such. I say 100% invite players to your creation sessions. I have gotten so much more into sandboxes lately, and the beautiful thing about sandboxes is that it doesn't quite matter if every single place is undiscovered and everything is new. It's actually sort of encouraged that they know a little bit about places. My players at this moment, my Olive Lycia players, are so stoked to go and visit these places that they've created. They want to see what it's like now. That's more immersion and that's more drive to see parts of the world that are unexplored than I've ever experienced with players before because they want to go and see their babies and how I will kill them after they've named them. I was going to say, and how you destroyed it? (laughs) And how I destroy it. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. 
So Megan, let's start with you. Will you tell us some more about Fantasy Ancestries and where people can get it? Uh, yeah, so it is on RPG under the Cypher System Creator. So you can find it even going to the Monty Cook Games page within RPG and looking at their community content. It costs $4.50. I think it's about 20 to 30 pages long. PDF and it has all the core sort of fantasy races and a sort of like different system for building them where you can take an inability for your species and then gain like a little bit extra abilities that you can take as well and some sort of background similar to what is in 5e D&D to sort of help build out the history of your character because I really like anything that helps you expand your idea of where your character came from. And it has the nine races that I mentioned already and original skills. I also pulled in a couple of the skills from the cipher, but most of it is original abilities that are relevant to each species. But yeah, it's on RPG Fantasy Ancestries. It's through a publishing company I created with some friends and my husband called Peculiar Books. We have a couple other things on there, like a modern character types book too. But I mostly just helped edit that one. Awesome. I cannot wait to check that out. It'll be on the top of my list this week. And Marcy, can you please just tell everybody if they haven't watched or haven't listened to The Owl of Lycia, a little bit about it, where to find it? Sure thing. So The Owl of Lycia is a folklore legend in the world. It was a creature from a different dimension, godlike in form, but upon this plane came in the form of an owl. And it traveled amongst its labyrinth, going from place to place and causing chaos in its wake. It caused soldiers to lose war because they could not sleep for they heard the hooting. It was absolutely the bane of existence for not only uh, men, but gods alike. And so the god of moral choices, Verna, accosted it in its path and gave it a moral quandary. It failed that moral quandary and was banished to wander its own labyrinth for eternity. Our players are down on their luck I would say scoundrels, but they're actually quite nice. They're just (laughs) in a very bad predicament. And they find themselves with the opportunity to win more money than they could have ever dreamed of. 200,000 suns. And suns is, I guess, the equivalent of 1,000 gold pieces. Literal gold pieces. They're like bars. They have the ability to win that much money simply by following a trail of clues that lead back to it. Somebody calling themselves the Owl of Lycia has stolen that much money and hidden it somewhere in the world of Gaelica. And we're starting season one mid-July, and I cannot wait. When I first pitched the idea to Darcy, I was like, have you ever seen a mad, 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 mad world? (laughs) Because I want to do that, but with Cypher System. And she's like, yes! Now, we can find that on Lamont Cook Games Twitch. Or do you have a site for that too? Yeah, they have all the episodes backlogged on Monty Cook Games' Twitch channel. Darcy is working very hard on putting them up to the YouTube channel. So you can watch all of them, Monty Cook Games, or if you type in Owl of Lycia, Lycia spelled L-Y-S-I-A, you can watch it there too. Fantastic players. I can't speak highly of them enough. I've got Skyrim Moss, Leora Holmes, Sharon Boswas, and Grant Ellis. And they are beautiful and they drive me up the wall and make me tear my hair out. And I can't wait to kill them. Yay. So everybody should definitely listen to that. It is amazing. They're characters, not them. (laughs) (laughs) 
ladies, thank you so much for sharing your experiences of creating your own worlds and characters in the Cypher system. It has been awesome to talk to you. This was very nice. Yeah, thanks for having us. You're very welcome. I'm so glad you said yes. And so compounded. I feel like we could have spent 20 minutes talking about how we fired all the men. Yeah, I know, right? Well, it's funny you say that because usually on the show, we have things of interest and I'm supposed to be skipping that, but I'm not going to because it is Women in Tabletop Gaming Month. I thought I'd use this time to give a huge shout out to everybody at Monte Cook Games who has been so inclusive to everybody. You, It's amazing. They changed their pronouns in their books. Like after my own heart and we have such incredible women role models with Shauna, Tammy, Darcy, Zoe, you know, I'm sorry if I missed anybody. We are just so lucky to have that. And ladies, please, I know you agree. Absolutely. Yep. They are all amazing. Well, thank you, ladies. Please tell me, what are you up to? Where can we find you online? Marcy. Sure. Online, you can find me on Twitter. My username, my handle, at F-E-L-L-O-N-M-A-R-C-I-E. You can find me coming back on Sunday evening. It should be 2 p.m. P-S-T, Owl of Lycia. I've got some other projects in the works. On Wednesdays, you can watch me play Scion on Bag of Snails channel. It's fun. I play a roller derby trash princess named Helena Zanakis, but her roller derby name is Helena Handbasket. It's amazing! I love it. (laughs) My roller derby team is Valkyries on loan, (laughs) which is great. On Thursdays, it's not starting up quite yet. I think we're going to have session zero also mid July. We're starting up an Edge of the Empire game where we're just going to be in, I think it's Orf Montel, the sort of trash planet. We're just going to be orbiting it in a trash ring because we're garbage people. (laughs) (laughs) There's a garbage theme between all my characters. I hope you have a (laughs) raccoon in there. I think that's it for me. Megan, what about you? You can find me a couple places online. Currently, we launched a Numenera podcast, like I mentioned, called The Amber Clave in May. And our first season is spent entirely, well, for the most part, underwater using the Into the Deep supplement. And so that's coming out every other Wednesday right now. You can find it on Twitter at Amber Clave or go to theamberclave.com. I also run with my husband a podcast. I think it was our third or fourth anniversary this month called The Redacted Files, where we've played Numenera and The Strange a lot, but we mainly play like investigative and horror games. But if you want to listen to our cipher campaigns, it's Mystery of the Ninth World and Not So Strange are the two big ones. And if you're looking for me in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Curium247, C-U-R-I-U-M, where I tweet a lot about RPGs. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. And I'm Danny. You can find me on Twitter at Imperial Scum. You can always find me here on the CypherCast Network. And I have some other projects that I have my hands into too. We do a Shadow of the Demon Lord actual play, which I am in love with. It's called Tales of Blood and Stone. They have a Twitter, Tobus, you know, Tales of Blood and Stone. And the same thing with the website, Tobus.com. It is a lot of fun. And also on the Greyhawk channel, on Tuesday nights, I have just started streaming The Dying Kingdom. I'm running a game for some awesome players in The Great Kingdom, which is a very dark area Greyhawk. And on Sundays, I am a player in Return to Greyhawk. And so that's what I'm up to at the moment. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining us tonight. It has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. And congratulations, listeners. You have reached the end of yet another episode. You can email us at info at cyphercast.net and you can follow us on twitter at cyphercastnet 
You can also comment on the CypherCast Network blog at cyphercast.net. And we'd always use more iTunes reviews, so feel free to rate us and write things on iTunes about us. You can also subscribe and share episodes on Google Play. Take care, and we'll catch you all next time on the CypherCast. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the CypherCast. The CypherCast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with Monty Cook Games. The opening and closing music is Nonstop by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. All other music you've heard in this episode is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. <laughs>